All right, continue to make your way forward. Uh, find a seat, but don't sit down yet. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, continue. Uh, remain standing with us as we start this morning by singing Blessed Be Your Name.
to Ambassador Bible Fellowship. Uh, this morning we're going to continue uh, by singing the song, Come Thou Fount. And this is a song that we're, we're used to singing. And there's a portion of it that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure sim- or safely to arrive at home. And a lot of times we sing that without understanding what it means. And it comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 12, and we see God has given the Israelites these, these great victories over these many peoples. And what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, is Samuel raises a great stone between Mizpah and Shem, and he calls the stone Ebenezer, which means our stone of help. And then from that day on, they were reminded... As Samuel said, till now the Lord has helped us. And so from there, they carried that stone, that stone of help with them from place to place to remind them of their great help, which was the Lord. So let's sing about that now this morning as we sing, Come Thou Fount. We're excited to have you here this morning as we want to worship King Jesus uh, together and we invite you uh, to partner with us in exclaiming that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
My name is Bruce Groves, and I'm the pastor of discipleship here. And uh, if you are visiting for the first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, and if you didn't get a card, a connection card when you arrived, back on the back table near the door where you entered, there's one there. There's some pens. If you could just fill that out, drop it in the little can that says connection card uh, right there. Then be glad to contact you, answer any questions that you have, get to know you and find out what you and your family are looking for in a church home. Love to uh, bring your attention to our bulletin if you picked one of those up. Uh, by the way, I think I saw some that uh, came in that may not have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, just raise your hand real quick and we'll uh, hand one of those to you. Anybody did not get one of those? Okay. Uh, if you open to the uh, uh, first page inside, wanted to mention that right here in this room from 9 to 10, we, are, we have an equipping hour. And it's a time for junior high, high school, or adults where we, we equip uh, the saints. And we're going through a four-part series on how to change. Uh, we're looking at the theology behind change. Right now we're looking at specifically how do I change. Then we'll look at how do I help others change. And then finally we'll look at how do we uh, encourage uh, change in all of our relationships. And so I encourage you... Uh, Join us. That's from 9 to 10 right here in this room. Uh, we'd love to have you. Also, we have, uh, this will be our second uh, year that we are co-hosting a Dis- How to Disciple and Counsel from Scripture conference. Uh, that'll be over three weekends. It's basic training uh, on what does the scriptures have to say about 30 different areas of how we grow personally and how do we help people who have struggles and trials in their life. The beauty about this conference is, first of all, it impacts you, it changes you, and then it gives you uh, the tools by which to help others. It's only $100 for all three weekends, and it includes a lunch on each of those weekends. Notice the uh, registration can be done online there uh, at any time. Uh, Today was the second of uh, four membership classes that occurs also during the first hour, kind of upstairs, uh, the room uh, just in the second floor here in this building. Uh, And if you're interested in wanting to know more about Ambassador Bible Fellowship, what's our mission, vision, and our values? What's our goals? How do we want to uh, build Christ's kingdom here in the Treasure Valley? I encourage you, even if... uh, you catch just the last two weeks, we'd love to have you. Uh, And then we can possibly get you access to the first two uh, lessons as well. If you'd flip over real quick, uh, not this week. uh, We incorrectly communicated in our email that was sent out this week. Uh, Not this week, but the following week, we'll begin all of our growth groups. Our growth groups is where uh, we encourage everyone to be a part. It's a place to know and to be known. It's where the one another's occur. It's the place where uh, we can uh, bear one another's burdens. We can share what Christ is doing in our life, our cares and our concerns. And uh, look at the list there of the different groups, the times, uh, when they meet. And you can also go online on our website, and they have these listed out. And you can contact the leaders. They have the contact information online Uh, just let the leader know you're coming and uh, check out 
the groups uh, that you think would fit your schedule and then dive in on the one that uh, works for you. But really encourage you to make that uh, um, the next step as you uh, evaluate whether Ambassador would be a church home for you. Also, on the right-hand side there, you'll see where it talks about the Ambassador Youth. This Wednesday is the big kickoff for the youth for this next school year. And there's going to be uh, a parent meeting as a part of that. We're, we're asking that there be at least one parent of each family, preferably both, that would attend that meeting. Uh, that'll be right here in this room from 630 to 830 this Wednesday. Uh, and so uh, we're excited about uh, what the Lord's going to do in our future leaders. And uh, we encourage all parents of youth to, to be there. Uh, last, and even most exciting, is I'd like to ask uh, Clayton Smith to come on down. You're the next contestant on Ambassador Bible Fellowship. Uh, guys, why don't we give uh, Clayton a hand? Uh, right there, my friend. Yes. This is the best part. Uh, today we get to announce Clayton Smith as a new member of uh, Ambassador Bible Fellowship. And how old are you? I am 17. 17. And uh, he's going to be helping with our youth. He's a, a graduate. Uh, going to do courses online, college, or? Possibly. Maybe even in person. Okay. May even go live. Uh, but uh He's, he's desiring to serve as these men invested in. He wants to invest in others, wants to be a disciple maker. And so we're excited that, uh, uh, and, and the reason why this, I just want to mention this, is we encourage uh, students who've made a commitment to Christ uh, that they're also committed to Christ's church. And so uh, excited that uh, you're ready to make that commitment, dive in, and uh, wants to serve, uh, be a giver. Uh, for the kingdom. And so uh, would you join me as uh, Thomas just uh, prays a blessing over Clayton? Heavenly Father, we we come to you praising you and thanking you uh, for the work that you have done in our lives. Lord, how you have saved us, how you have drawn us to yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, how you are now working to sanctify us by the power of your Spirit, uh, working in us and through us. And Father, we praise you and we rejoice for how you have worked in and through Clayton. We thank you for uh, his desire to pursue Christ. We thank you for his desire to be discipled uh, and then to be a disciple maker. Father, we uh, are so excited uh, to see how you have uh, used Clayton uh, in the past and in the present and how you will continue to use him in the future. And Lord, may you strengthen and encourage him. Lord, may you use his spiritual gifts uh, as a, a part of our church body uh, to build all of us up, to encourage us. And Lord, may you use our church uh, to uphold and encourage and challenge and shepherd and exhort Clayton uh, as he continues to, to follow and pursue Jesus. And Lord, may you continue to build our church uh, as you see fit. 
according to your plans and your purposes. And Lord, we, we long to be instruments in your hands uh, and we entrust uh, the growth of our church uh, to you. And we just ask that you would help us to be faithful. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, he will not turn down any offers for lunch today. Thank you. Morning. I want to say uh, welcome to all of our guests and visitors. Um, it's a pleasure and a joy to, to worship Jesus Christ um, together with you. I have the privilege of, of reading uh, scripture this morning, so if you would, please take out your Bibles and open to Numbers, and we're going to be reading from chapter 14, verses 1 through 35. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Most of us have, have probably read this in our, our reading plan. It was, it's been a blessing um, to read through the book of Numbers and to see God's holiness and, and goodness. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and, and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all this assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the, the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land he has into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. 
Please pardon the, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of these who, des- who, who despised me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and, and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked generation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing... I will do it. I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fill in this wilderness, shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that I, that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity. Each day you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked generation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Bow our heads in prayer to the Lord. Almighty God and Father, it is a great privilege to be in your presence this morning with your people singing praises to you, God, and, and giving honor to your name. Father, we do thank you for the preservation of your word throughout generations and for the example that is set before us this morning in your people, Israel. That though you delivered them with magnificent signs and wonders, things that their very eyes beheld, they did not trust in you. They did not believe your word and in so doing despised you. You had made a promise to Abraham to bring your people into their very own land, And this day was at hand. But their refusal to enter, Lord, is a refusal to trust you, to trust in your goodness, your faithfulness, your character. Their act of disobedience was faithlessness and ultimately unbelief. Now this word is sobering to us, Lord, as we examine ourselves, as we confess that that we can act in the same way today. It happens when we are drawn away, seeking satisfaction with the fleeting pleasures of this world, when we do not behold Christ in all his beauty and splendor and find our complete satisfaction in him. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. Please grant us repentance and help us to flee from areas in our life that may be distracting us from our heavenly home. May we have faith like Joshua and Caleb who followed you fully. 
May we never doubt that all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. For in him you have saved us as an act of mercy upon our lives, forgiving us of all of our iniquity and and idolatry. May we hold fast to him with full faith and assurance, knowing that you, who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, you will also with him graciously give us all things. God, we pray that you would lead us as a church to magnify Christ, to exalt him in our daily lives and, and bring you glory in all that we do. Father, we also want to take this time to thank you for the provision that, that you give us for our families and as a church, Lord. We pray that you would bless the offerings that we give as we give back to you. And as we continue to, to worship you this morning uh, through song and, and through the proclamation of your word, God, we pray that it would be a pleasing aroma to you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand now and join us as we continue by singing Nothing But the Blood? about the songs we were going to be singing, I received an email from a friend of mine who's a new believer. Uh, they're still fairly young in their faith, and 
and they love to ask questions, which is great. Uh, and they sent me this long list of questions, and at the end of that was a comment that said, sometimes I'm just overwhelmed. I don't feel like I'm enough. I feel like my sin is too great. And in my head, I want to respond with, yes, your, your sin is too great. You, you are too weak on your own. But the beauty is that it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. If we have been saved by grace through faith. And that's why in this next song, Before the Throne of God Above, I get the, the biggest smile on my face when I, when I read the second verse that says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. It's not about what we do, but about what our Lord and Savior has done. Let's sing that together now, Before the Throne of God Above.
Amen, amen. Well, just a, a real brief reminder announcement that uh, two weeks from today, we're hoping to, to restart our uh, children's ministry. Uh, and uh, Marissa Stephenson, she's sitting in the back, is our children's ministry director. She's the one who... Uh, preps and puts together all of those wonderful packets uh, for your kids to be uh, distracted with from my sermon uh, during the service. But uh, no, we're, we're thankful for that. And uh, we are in need of a few more volunteers. Uh, and if you are interested in helping out in children's ministry, you can speak uh, with Marissa uh, after the service uh, about how you can be involved with that. And uh, this morning we're going to continue our series on the, the church, the household of God, and we're eventually going to land in Hebrews chapter 3, and you can uh, open in your Bibles there. And as you're, you're turning there, many of you might have noticed there is a, a growing trend in our society uh, where more and more people are feeling isolated and lonely. Back in, in May of 2018, the Cigna Health Group uh, polled 20,000 Americans uh, and uh, all of them adults trying to, to study the effects of loneliness in the United States. And, and the results were sobering. As they polled these 20,000 adults, what they found is that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone. And one in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. One in five people report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like they are, there are people that they can talk to. And only half of Americans, about 53%, have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with family on a daily basis. And Generation Z, those uh, young adults kind of between the ages of uh, 18 and 24, the, the generation who is, in essence, growing up during the, the advent of the smartphone, that, that is the, the loneliest generation. So even though they are the, the most connected technologically, there are more ways to connect and, and keep in touch with people now than there have ever been. And yet what we are seeing is that there is a, a greater disconnection among people in our society. We are growing more isolated and more lonely. And as a pastor, I have seen and felt this. And, and how it's seen most when it comes to pastoral ministry is we've seen a, a natural tendency that we're all kind of beginning to have. That, that when we are sad, when we are discouraged, what are the things that we turn to most frequently? Our phones entertainment, something to, to distract us. And it kind of has a, a numbing effect on us, right? And what's remarkable, we go to our phones or to whatever else it may be, seeking to, 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 to push aside the other concerns of life. And, and it does for a time, but then when we, once we put our phones down, what happens? All of those concerns are still there. None of them have been dealt with and addressed 
but we've been distracted from them for a time. And when life gets hard, when trials come, we have this tendency to turn inward and to neglect relationships. We stop seeking out others, and in doing so, we end up cutting ourselves off from the God-ordained means of actually being blessed and encouraged. We have to to see and, and realize that in cutting ourselves off, from fellowship and, and from others, what it's like we're doing is like we're, we're chopping off our hand because our hand is hurt and we want to make sure, make sure our hand heals properly. So, so you know, if it just goes off by itself, it'll, it'll be better. That, that's not the logic that we use medically when we have a hurting limb of our physical body. And yet that's what we seem to, to act as if that's going to be true when we as a member of a greater church body are feeling discouraged. Well, if I just sever myself from the church, I'll get better. That's, that's contrary to Scripture. And so should we be at all surprised when isolation doesn't cure our discouragement? That's sort of what I want to to look at today, that that the nature of the church is not independence, that the nature of our church is interdependence. That is what we are called to be as a church, how we are called to relate to one another. We are called to, to lean upon one another, to walk with one another, to carry one another's burdens. So this morning, as we look at the independent nature of the church, we as believers are called, yes, to depend upon Christ. And that's what we looked at last week, as we saw that the the power of the church, the power of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't live in our strength, but we are called to, to put forth dependent effort. But we are also called to be interdependent upon one another. And there are many places that we can turn to to see this in the New Testament. But I'd like to to look specifically in depth at a passage here in Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, I hope that you're there. And and the book of Hebrews was written or possibly spoken as a sermon uh, to a group of of Jewish believers. And this this group of Jewish believers, after facing pressure from the, the culture around them, they were contemplating departing from Christianity and going back to their old way of life in Judaism. They say, man, it's hard to follow Christ. The, the, the culture keeps pushing back upon me, and so maybe life will be easier if I just return to what life was like when I was following and adhering to Judaism. That was the temptation that they were facing. And this author of Hebrews is unknown but over the course of the letter, he, he writes to convince them of the superiority of Jesus Christ. Now, that Jesus Christ is better than anything and everything in Old Testament Judaism. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than Moses. He's the, the ultimate and greatest sacrifice. Christ is better. And sprinkled throughout the, the letter to the Hebrews are these five warning passages. And, and these warning passages are almost like parenthetical statements because you, if you take them out, the letter seems to keep on progressing. Now, in each of these warning statements, the, the author is saying, please don't turn away. Come back to Christ. Continue to pursue Him. And there's a warning of different kinds of, of danger and they get ever more serious as the book progresses. 
And the passage that we're going to be studying this morning is found in the middle of the second warning passage. And this second warning could be called the warning against disobedience and unbelief. And in this warning passage, the author is going to point backward in time, actually, to what we read during our scripture reading this morning. For those of you who are wondering, like, why is this so long? Well, it's important background to what we're going to be studying today. And the author of Hebrews is going to be pointing back to the first generation of Israel and how they didn't get to enter into the promised land. They didn't get to enter into the land of rest because of their disobedience, because of their faithlessness. But what's interesting is that the author of Hebrews, rather than pointing directly to Numbers, he takes a detour. He doesn't point to Numbers, he points to Psalm 95. Like, why would he do that? Like, he could have just gone directly to that story that we read in Numbers 14. So why take the detour? Well, because Psalm 95 is a commentary on Numbers 14. And King David, the author of Psalm 95, is writing about specifically two things. The first part of Psalm 95 is a call to worship, to to give heart worship to the one true God. And the second half of Psalm 95 is a warning against unbelief, a a warning against disobedience. If, If you don't give the heart worship to God that he deserves, there's going to be results. There's going to be consequences in your life. And it's the second part of Psalm 95 that the author of Hebrews is going to to read or to quote here in this warning passage. And we'll we'll get to the passage in a second. But I I think that the the author of Hebrews goes to Psalm 95 for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted to call the Jewish believers to worship the one true God, to to worship Christ as their Messiah. Uh, And so he's urging them to give heartfelt worship. Secondly, he's also warning the Jewish believers of the consequences of unbelief. As they're they're facing this temptation to return uh, and to act in unbelief and to return to Judaism, The author is just saying, look, you've seen how this plays out in the past. Don't go and repeat their same mistakes. And again, throughout this book of uh, Hebrews, the author is going to repeatedly argue from lesser to greater. uh, That in the Old Testament we see lesser things, and in Christ we see greater things. That, That to a certain extent, Jesus is the greater Moses who's going to, to lead a better and greater and more profound exodus. Moses led the people of Israel out of physical slavery, and he was going to lead them into the promised land. But what has Christ done? He's the new Moses who's led a people out of slavery to sin and is going to lead them in a new exodus leading to eternal life. So Jesus is greater. And even in the passage before what we're going to study today, the beginning of chapter 3, you might have a heading there that says Jesus is greater than Moses. That was the beginning of chapter 3 where the, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus is faithful as a son. And this reality of if if the first generation of Israelites was judged 
as followers of Moses. They rebelled against Moses. If you rebel against Christ, how much greater is the judgment going to be? If Christ is greater than Moses, there will be a a greater judgment. But there's also this additional concept of something that is greater. And it has to do with this concept of rest. That the first generation of Israel was kept from entering into the promised land, where they would have enjoyed rest after being slaves in Egypt. And, And they were denied that rest because of unbelief. Because of their disobedience. And there is an even greater rest being spoken of here. And the the author of Hebrews, that's why he takes this detour to Psalm 95. He says, look, King David is still talking about that rest. So, So you know the first generation of Israel didn't enter into the rest because King David, hundreds of years later, is still talking about it. And that rest is still promised to us today. The greater rest, the greater eternal life that Christ offers and brings to all who would trust and believe in Him. So let's look at this warning passage together. So we're going to begin reading in chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read through uh, chapter 4, verse 13. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he said... As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, 
saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God from, did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's important that we read all of that. And we, and, we, and we have in our minds what the author of Hebrews is saying here. And he's pointing back and saying, we need to wholeheartedly trust and believe that our disobedience will impact our relationship with God. How do we know that? Look what happened with the first generation of Israel. But we need to be convinced of the danger of sin and disobedience. And, and what we're going to look at, so that was the whole warning passage. We're going to look now at two verses, verses 12 and 13. And verses 12 and 13 are really the application. They are the so what of this entire warning. And because there have been some in the past who have not entered into the rest of God because of their unbelief and disobedience, here's the application. Here's what we are called to do. And the author of Hebrews is, is warning his audience about the danger of having their hearts hardened by sin, leading them to fall away from the living God. And these first century Jewish believers were, 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 were tempted to give in to the pressures of their own day and return to their old way of life. Right? It, this passage would be so applicable if only we had cultural pressures that we face, right? But there's no cultural pressure, Right? No, there, there is so much pressure. And that's not a new thing. That's not a, a 21st century temptation to give in to cultural pressures. That's an every century pressure. The world has always been exerting pressure on the church. And that's where this same warning is helpful to us. Because it teaches us and shows us how to set ourselves up to guard and battle against the sinfulness in our own hearts and to battle against the societal pressures of the world around us. And the author of Hebrews is going to give two brief commands, two urgent needs of, hey, you must do these two things. One command is given in verse 12, that we must be aware of the dangers of sin and unbelief. And then one command is given in verse 13, that we must accept the guardrails of fellowship and exhortation. But let's look first at that, that first command, that we must be aware of the danger of sin and unbelief. If you look with me back at chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
And so the, the verse begins with a simple command, right? Take care, or more literally, to, to see or perceive, to, to, per, to constantly be aware. The, the idea of, is of ongoing action, is to, to always be alert, always be taking care. And this instruction is for the whole church. It says brothers, but the idea is brothers and sisters of all who are in the church. This is a command for every Christian to follow. And and the command is given, and then uh, the warning behind the command is explained. There's a logical flow here that if if you don't obey this command to take care, to see and perceive the danger, then this is what is going to happen. And this is the, the warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And, and that is the danger that we need to be warned of. An evil, unbelieving heart. The type of heart that was seen among that first generation in the wilderness. And this is a, a very strong, a very sharp warning that anyone among them might develop this heart. Anyone among them might be caught up in this. And the word used for, for evil here, again, it's a, it's a word used for severe evil. Now, of one that, that completely corrupts us, morally and socially. And again, if, if you look back at verse 10 that we read, you see God's own evaluation of that first generation, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. That's what it, an evil, unbelieving heart looks like. You don't know God. You go your own way. You go astray. And this evil, unbelieving heart, it leads a person to a certain end. It leads us, leading you to fall away from the living God. And, and this falling away is not something that happens to us. It's something that we do actively. The falling away is a decision. It's something that we choose. It's a willful departure, a rebellion against the living God. And this Greek word here is where we get our word apostasy. And apostasy is rebellion against God that culminates in a departure from Him. Again, this is what we saw take place among the Israelites in the wilderness. This is what we've been reading about. And as we've been reading uh, the book of Numbers in our reading plan this month, are any of you kind of like fed up with the Israelites? You're like, come on, guys. When are you going to get it? But realizing that we can have that same pattern of hard-heartedness. And something to, to note is that apostasy is always a process. Many of you probably heard the name uh, Benedict Arnold. Right, very, very famous in American history, or you could better yet say infamous, because uh, he betrayed the colonial armies during the Revolutionary War and returned to fight with or for uh, the British side. And what happened is that over the course of the war, which began in 1775, Benedict Arnold was a, a general in the colonial army. Uh, but over a, a period of years, he kept getting passed over for promotion. And as that was taking place, guess what began to happen in his heart? He began to grow bitter. 
and discontent. There was a, a hatred and a bitterness that he cultivated towards General Washington, towards the Continental Congress, and ultimately for the, the fight for independence. So the, the final straw came in 1780, when not only was he not promoted once more, but there were five younger men who got promoted over him. So he, got, he didn't get the promotion that he wanted, and now he had to take orders from these five younger generals. And that sealed his decision. Now he decided, I'm, I'm changing sides. And he was placed in command of the, the fort at West Point, New York. And he had planned to secretly surrender that fort to British forces. And then the plan was discovered. And he fled to the, the British army that was occupying New York at the time. And what was amazing is that if you would ask George Washington at that time who his most loyal general in the army was, he might have said Benedict, Benedict Arnold. Because up until that point in the war, he had had several issues with other generals in, in these power struggles. But Benedict Arnold had been faithful. But what did George Washington not know? What was going on in the human heart? We can't see that. We don't know what's taking place. And those small decisions can lead us astray. And in that same way, that's what happens with an evil and unbelieving heart. We are gradually led astray from God, culminating in our apostasy. And that can take place even where it is least expected. And as we, we read in verse 13, and as we will see, sin has a hardening effect upon our hearts. That it actively works upon us. It deceives us. And part of sin's deception is the denial of danger that accompanies sin. Well, we, we don't often think of that. What are we thinking of most when we, when we fall into sin? When you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse, you're like, I want to be right. When you're in the middle of giving in to another temptation, you're really probably just thinking of the, the short and fleeting pleasure that sin will provide. Right? That's what you are focused upon. But then what eventually happens? That, that pleasure disappears. And now you're left with the bitter consequences. It's where sin is bittersweet. And part of its deception gets us to not think about the danger that accompanies it. And that's why the author of Hebrews begins here. He says, hey, first, be aware of the danger. See it. Understand that it is there. There is a danger that accompanies sin and unbelief. But some of you might be thinking, well, how does this connect with, with the perseverance of true believers? Because isn't it the case that, that true believers will not fall away? Yes, that is true. And here's where we need to make a couple of distinctions. So we have to distinguish what is commanded of the believer and what is promised to the believer. So what do I mean by that? Well, what is it that we are commanded to do? We are commanded to persevere. We are commanded to, to obey Christ, to follow Him diligently and laboriously, even when it's hard. 
even through trials, we are called to persevere. That is what we are commanded. But what is it that we are also promised? We're commanded to persevere, but we are promised that God will preserve us. And so we, we still have to do what we are commanded to do. Uh, we love the song that we've sung in weeks gone by of that, that he will hold me fast. But, but the fact that God will hold the believer fast in his hands doesn't mean that we don't have to be faithful, that we don't have to obey him. You know, we are called to obey him. That is our responsibility, and he will faithfully preserve us. We also have to distinguish what apostasy truly reveals. If, if someone falls away from the living God because uh, of an evil, unbelieving heart, what is truly revealed? I would point you to 1 John 2:19, who says this, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be become plain that they all are not of us. The, what John is saying there is that those who fall away are demonstrating that they were never truly following Christ. Uh, there was always uh, an unregenerate heart within them. But, but as we look at verse 12, the overall exhortation is that we have to treat sin seriously. We have to, to understand that there is a danger that we still face. Yes, Christ has won the victory for us, but there, as long as we're here on the earth, we're, we're still in danger because we still have a sinful heart beating in our chests. And we still have a world full of temptations impressing itself upon us on a day in and day out basis. So we have to be aware of the danger that we face that lurks within each of us. And if we are unwilling to acknowledge that danger, then we are in the greatest peril. Right? If we're saying, ah, it's not, it's no big deal. That, that's when we are in the greatest danger because the danger lies within us of an evil, unbelieving heart. And, and being aware of the danger will put us on our guard. Right, if we know that our heart might be dangerous, that changes the way that we look at what we think and what we desire, all of those things. And then if we know that our, our heart may have wrong desires at times, then we, we will go to the Word. Because even as we read in this very same passage, the Word of God is living and active and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we have to, to come to grips with. And we do this so that we might not fall away from the living God. That is the danger that we face, that we must be aware of the danger. But God doesn't just say, there's danger. He also says, because there is danger, now I'm calling you to do this. Which leads to the second command in these verses, in verse 13. That we must accept the guardrails of fellowship and exhortation. Verse 13 says this, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And verse 13 begins with a little word, and it's really easy to speed past it, right? A little word that's intended to mark a contrast. 
And in the Greek, it's a, there's a couple of different words for but, and this is the, the strong word. And that in strong contrast to what has come before, instead of falling away from the living God, you should do this. Instead of falling away, here's what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to exhort one another. The idea of, of warning, of correcting, reproving, encouraging on an ongoing, continual basis. When someone goes off the road, we're called to go chase them. And, and to bring them back onto the road and then walk along with them. That, that's the idea here. And then we're given a duration to this command. How long are we supposed to exhort and encourage one another? As long as it's called today. Which is a really fancy way of saying every single day until the Lord comes. When time ends, when there are no more todays, then we can cease exhorting one another. There is urgency to this exhortation. Because when we see that word today, as long as it's called today, as we were reading this warning passage, you're kind of like, this guy keeps repeating himself. Because he quoted a particular verse three times. He says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's the idea over and over again. That we are called to act today. There is an, an urgency to all of this. Today is the day of salvation. love what Steve Lawson says. He says, today is the Lord's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day. That there is always a temptation for us to put off spiritual decisions, right? Always a temptation to, to put off the things that we need to, to stop doing. Some of you may have be, be putting off submitting your life to Christ. You may have been hearing the gospel for some time now, understanding your sinfulness, but you can't bring yourself to submit to Christ's lordship. Others uh, who have known Christ, you may be unwilling to do some radical amputation. Maybe sin in our lives that we are hesitant to, to cut off and fling from us. We're kind of like, well, let me just cut it off and then I'll just keep it right next to me. Maybe I want to pick it back up and, and reattach. But, but the hard decisions of both salvation and sanctification we are called to make today Today is the day that we are called to, to confess our sin before a holy God, to, to beg His forgiveness, not because of anything that we have done. There's nothing that any of us can do to earn God's forgiveness. But we are called to beg the forgiveness of God on the basis of what Christ has done for us, because of who He is as the Son of God and what He has done in living a perfect life and then dying on the cross to pay the penalty for sin and then rising on the third day and then ascending into heaven. Because of what Christ has done, we can plead. We can come before the throne of God and ask for forgiveness and, and intercede and make petitions. If we trust not in ourselves, but completely trust in the finished work of Christ. And if you are here this morning and, and, and that is new to you, and th this call, this urgency that today is the day of salvation, I would, I would urge you to place your faith and trust in Christ right now. Don't put it off any longer.
If you have additional questions about that, I would encourage you to speak with the, whoever invited you or come speak with me after the service. But to let today be the day of salvation. Don't put anything off till tomorrow. This exhortation is of vital importance because without this exhortation, without others speaking into our lives and encouraging us and, and addressing things, we will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We, we will be hardened because, again, that's, that's what sin does. That's how it acts upon the human heart. It hardens it. It deceives us. And it leads to unbelief. It leads to disobedience. And it culminates in rebellion and in apostasy. And that's, that's what is so grievous in all of this. That deceptive nature, because if, if you are deceived, you probably may not even realize that you're being deceived. Well, we are all blind to our own blind spots. So what we are, we're called to see is that sin is dangerous. But also what we see here is not just the danger of sin, but also the guardrails. The, the, the guardrails that God has given to us in the church to help protect us against this danger of sin, against this, this deceptive hardening of our own hearts. And these are the, the means that we are called to live by. Fellowship and exhortation. And as, as I love to quote the pastor of our sending church, a lone ranger is a dead ranger in the Christian faith. Well, we have to understand and embrace that. And we have to embrace these guardrails. Now, some of you may have uh, driven from here uh, north to McCall, right? Any of, you, any of you taken that route upstate Highway 55? You've taken that, that drive, and, and the Highway 55 runs along the Payette River. And anyone who's, who's driven that road has undoubtedly noticed the, the, the guardrails along the road. But you probably first didn't notice the guardrails. What probably first caught your attention was that that turn and there were no guardrails, right? You're like, whoa, brakes, uh, foot off the gas, all of that. That's what really gets your attention, right? When you almost go off of the road and there's no guardrails, the guardrail is just the river at the bottom. That's what really gets your attention first. And once you see and, and understand the danger, then the next time you have a turn and you notice that there is a guardrail, how do you feel? You're appreciative of the guardrail, right? No one at that point is like, why do they have this stupid guardrail here? just keeps me from going 75 up this road. None of us feel that way. But what's remarkable, we don't feel that way about guardrails on the road when we're driving. But we do feel that way when it comes to these two guardrails that we see in this verse. Am I right? We are not always open to fellowship and exhortation from others. We are not always embracing and welcoming those in the Christian life. But here's what we have to realize, that those guardrails of fellowship and exhortation, those are the God-ordained means how we can continue to walk faithfully. And it's not taking anything away from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Those have been different messages, and we've talked about that previously. But today we're talking about the interdependent nature of the church 
and we see how important fellowship is. So here's what we must realize, that isolation in the Christian life will lead to discouragement, unbelief, and disobedience. But fellowship in the Christian life leads to this, encouragement, faith, and obedience. That's, that's what we have to be convinced of. That having brothers and sisters in Christ who are following Him and walking in the same direction that we are, that will be beneficial to our spiritual life. And God has said this is a good thing. In fact, God has said this is how the church is supposed to function. And this is everywhere in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that is how we are called to live the Christian life, interdependently. Hey, my brother has a burden. Who's supposed to help him carry it? Me. Sister has a burden. Who's supposed to help carry it? Me. That's what we are called to do. Not to say, oh, that looks heavy. Oh, do, do, oh yeah, that's, oh, that's really heavy. Yeah. No, we go and we help. We go and we intervene. We go and we act. We are commanded to exhort one another, to bear one another's burdens. And in so doing, did you catch what the end of verse 2 said? As we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. This is, this is what Christ is calling us to do. To obey the great commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our neighbor sacrificially. So sin and unbelief are the dangers that we face and fellowship and exhortation are the guardrails that protect us. And we have to be convinced of both of those realities. The danger is real and so the guardrails should be welcome. And so we all need these types of relationships where someone can, can speak into our lives, where someone has permission to say hard things where, where they can say anything and we will hear them out. And we also need to be willing to speak hard truths to others. Now, now we need to, to do that in a Christ-honoring manner. And even what we read in Galatians chapter 6 right there, what comes at the end of Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit. So when he says, you who are spiritual, you who are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, you go to your brother and you, you confront them with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then you help bear their burden. And do you have any relationships like that? But I guess even before we get there, here's a more powerful and important question 
Do you want relationships like that? Do you desire that? Because some of us don't want people getting too close. Some of us don't really want someone else with that type of permission to speak into our lives. But we need it. And so we need to first think and pray, do, do I really want relationships like that? Am I really willing to be open and honest with others? To hear from them and to be exhorted by them? But, but this is the command in this verse. One pastor, theologian, says this. He says, Believers have not fulfilled the intent of this admonition until they are engaging in a helpful concern for their fellow Christians and are active in strengthening their brethren in the faith. See, we haven't obeyed this command until we're actively speaking into the lives of others. What's being proposed here is a community of believers that are convinced of the danger of sin and who are lovingly and graciously exhorting and encouraging one another so that we all see the surpassing value of knowing and worshiping and following Christ. That Christ is far more valuable than anything and everything in this life. This is a community marked by truth and love, marked by the confession of sin, accompanied by repentance and forgiveness. And when there's the confession of sin, we don't then treat that person like they have uh, leprosy. We say, oh man, he just confessed some sin. That's ugly. It's like, man, yeah, that, that's, that's hard. But guess what? We're all sinners. That's the foundation of our faith, is it not? So what should we expect from people in the church? Sin. We should be expecting others to be struggling. What should we expect of ourselves? At times, what are we, what are we going to be doing? Struggling. And we need others, part of the guardrails, to help us pursue Christ. So that type of community that's being exhorted here, that doesn't happen by accident. And honestly, that type of community that he's saying here, that's not natural. Right? It's not just something that you walk into. It's something that is built. And community is kind of a big buzzword in the, in the Christian faith right now, isn't it? I'm just searching for community. It's what I want. Like, yes, that's, that's a good thing, but we aren't commanded to search for community. You ever think about that? We're called to, to live out community. We're called to, to build it, to create it, not just be in search of it. We can search a long time, but it's something that we have to labor for. We have to, to build it, to love one another, so that beautiful Christian relationships begin to flourish among us. That's what we have to be committed to. And the love that we have for one another should be the defining characteristic of the church. It's part of Jesus' final words, the Last Supper, John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so the foundation of our community must be Christ and a love for him. And if we love Christ, then we must also be willing to develop a love for his people. And love for his people involves having relationships where things are going to get a little messy. Having relationships where someone may speak into our life or we may be called to speak into others' lives. But Christ is the foundation of all of that. Here's what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together. It says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And the more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely we shall think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. We have to to see and understand that the, the basis of what we do Sunday mornings, the basis of what we do as we scatter throughout the week and then regather in our small groups, the basis of all of our fellowship is Christ. And if he is the basis, then that, that motivates me to go and, and love others and to, to pursue them and understand that Christ has created a community here by regenerating our hearts, by giving us spiritual life. We've all been united to him, and now we have spiritual life together as a community because of what Christ has done. And now we just live out that reality. But if we're going to experience that type of community, we have to be aware of the danger of sin and unbelief, and we have to be accepting of the guardrails of fellowship and exhortation. So how does all this work itself out here at Ambassador? We we enjoy fellowship on Sunday mornings, right? And, and, And it's wonderful fellowship. When we got to talk beforehand, we got to talk more afterwards. You were hopefully encouraged by the, the Word of God being proclaimed and, and singing with one another to our Lord and Savior. It's a great fellowship here, but there's also more and more intimate fellowship in our growth groups. Right? That's really uh, where you will get to know others and where you will be known by others. Because you can come here and kind of float and, and disappear in the crowd and not really be known by anyone. You can come and hear the word and then slip out. But, and again, you'll be encouraged to a certain extent, but you really won't have these guardrails. But because no one will be there to say, oh, there's, there's danger. You need, you need to stick back in your lane and keep on pursuing Christ. Our growth groups is where the majority of our fellowship takes place. That's where Christ-honoring relationships will be built. That's where we will be able to exhort and encourage and be exhorted and be encouraged. And if we are experiencing discouragement, and, and this COVID season, this is just a discouraging time, right? It's just hard. And we felt the absence of fellowship in our church life in a way that a lot of other people in previous generations really hadn't. There's not really been any other time where churches have had to just stop their normal services. But we began to feel that absence of fellowship and see the importance of it. But even more so, 
in our, in our small groups, in our growth groups. And, and if you are experiencing discouragement, I would encourage and challenge you, be in a group. Get to know others and allow others to get to know you. As we've seen here, one of the guardrails in the Christian life. There's more information about our growth groups in your bulletin. There's a list there that you can go online and find a listing of where they meet and when they meet and all of that. And I would urge you, beg you, implore you, and Scripture commands you. Pursue this type of community where we can take care of we can be aware of the danger of sin and its deception and that where we can take advantage of the guardrails that God has given to us. And the, the guardrails are those who are sitting with you and around you. We're there to encourage you and to point you towards Christ. And Lord willing, we will be as a church, a community who is moving forward uh, and able to encourage one another. And we're all moving towards Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Sobered by the truth of your word. Sobered by the danger of sin. Father, I pray that the examples that we have in your word of the Israelites. Lord, you have said that these these things were written for us, for our benefit, that we might not desire what they desired, that we might not fall into the same sins. And as the author of Hebrews points back to that sinful generation and says, look at their disobedience. Look at the results of it. Understand that the danger, Lord, I pray that we would do exactly that, that we would be grieved by our sin, that we would not take it lightly, that we would see it in all of its deception, in all of its heart-hardening power. And rather than, than saying that we can... We can do this, or I can do this in my own strength, Lord, that we would depend upon your word, depend upon your spirit, and then rely upon other believers. Lord, give us all teachable hearts that we would be willing to hear the exhortation and encouragement of others in our church. And Lord, use each of us as instruments in yours, your hand, as, as those who are filled with the Spirit and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to, to go and speak the truth in love, that our church might be built up into the unity and love and peace of Christ. That we might also be a faithful witness to the world around us, Lord. Pray that you would so work in our church community, in our church family. That our love for one another would be such a display that the world around us would know that we are following Jesus. And that we would then be able to proclaim His worthiness, His greatness. And Lord, may we continue to worship Him now. And we pray and lift these things up to You in His name. Amen.
Well, please stand with us now as we close our time this morning by singing, I Stand Amazed. in the book of Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Go now in the grace of God. You are dismissed.